Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Today is a sweet day for me because I get to attend Mission Church and uh, just get to enjoy it. Um, Every anniversary, I love to bring family in uh, to preach. And today I brought in family, family. My childhood best friend, my brother, Andrew Gard, um, who's here in October. He absolutely slayed it in October. He's crushed it this weekend. And uh, it is a sweet thing to have family in the house. And so here's something you need to know about Andrew. Andrew is uh, not only one of the greatest people I know, but he is the most loyal person I've ever met on this planet. I mean, he's with you. He is with you. About a year and a half ago, we were driving past San Quentin, and uh, we were just talking about, you know, our friendship. And Rachel's like, yeah, you're like, Andrew, you're just such a, like, a, a great friend. And, and Drew's like, oh, yeah, like, Tyler's my best friend. And like out of the blue, Drew goes, you know, Tyler, if you killed somebody and you went to San Quentin, I'd visit you. And I was like, thank you, I guess. I'm not planning on going to San Quentin, but nice to know you'd visit, you know. And, and, uh, and Rachel, for the last year and a half, we'll just be driving. She's like, Drew's just such a great friend. He would visit you in San Quentin. And I was like, I'm not going to San Quentin. But then I was like, like would you visit me in San Quentin to Rachel? She's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and it's one of those things, if I could just, just hear the heart of what he's trying to say. The highest peaks and the lowest valleys, I'm not leaving. And our church, Drew's been with us from the very beginning, even before this thing was even a church. When I was fearful to plant it, when I was on the fence, should I not do it or not do it? Andrew's like, man, you got this. It's in you, go get them. When we were birthing the church, you know, they invested $10,000 into Mission Church to help us get off the ground. They bought us that light and that right there, those two lights. <laughs> They're great lights, thank you so much. Um, but he's been, he's been so good to us. I don't know, that got me too, I don't know. Um, when you find a friend who loves you and is for you, and you know that God knitted it, guard it, treasure it, celebrate it. Have him speak your church as much as possible. Bring him in on anniversaries. Andrew pastors a great church in Lakeland, Florida. And the word he has for our church today is a special one. It has been blessing uh, our church all day. And today's the last one. And God saves the best for last. So get ready. Respond well. Amen. Can you give it up for my best buddy, Andrew Gard? Oh, come on, Mission Church. You're happy to be in church. The 1045 service. Good to be in the room. Uh, man, what, a, what an incredible, incredible, incredible weekend this is to mark six years of Mission Church. Um, uh, anybody been here? You've been here like in the five plus year range? Let me see your hand. Like if you've been here, that's amazing. Come on, give it up for all those people that were here. The rest of you are just jumping on the bandwagon, but we're happy to have you. We're, we're grateful to have you. Uh, it's amazing uh, just what God uh, has done in six years. And as Tyler said, man, we've gotten, gotten to see it when it was just a, a, a seed. And that's really how things like this happen. Like, isn't it wild to think that at one time this was just a dream in Rachel and Tyler's heart? And now you have an incredible staff, incredible people serving, people giving, people in groups, just incredible things taking place. And that uh, really does happen because of, as Pastor Dave said, just great leadership. And uh, uh, one of my pastors used to always say, leadership's always the problem and leadership's always the solution. 
And I'm a firm believer that things rise and fall on leadership. And so are you grateful for your pastors? Come on, let's give it up for them. Two of my favorite people, I would, I would visit them in jail. Legit, I would visit them in jail. That's how much I love them. Uh, and uh, Christy and I just love you guys so much. And, uh, and so I just think the world of you guys and just your genuineness, your humility, your joy. Um, come on, how contagious is their joy? I just love it. Like Rachel laughs at everything. Great person to have around. Like just makes you, I always hang out with Rachel and I feel like Kevin Hart afterwards. I'm like, this is amazing. Uh, um, and so, and then, you know, Tyler just has such a, a passion for God's word, a passion for God's people. And so it's just, uh, love you guys so much, man. Uh, honored to be here. It's fun uh, because uh, I was just here in October uh, and it's always fun to come back so soon. I feel like I'm on the teaching team here at, uh, at Mission Church and, uh, and anytime uh, Tyler calls, I'm there. And so uh, what an honor it is to be here for six years. And I, I wanna preach a very, uh, I would call it a very pastoral message, to be honest. Uh, um, something that, that really we got to walk through in our community that I think made a, made a really big uh, difference. And I, I want to preach uh, from this thought today. If you're taking notes, I, I want you to write this down. I'll call this message self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. I know um, sometimes life can be frustrating and sometimes it can feel like, man, just all hell's raging against us. But, but I really believe this. Um, that you and I are really just a mindset shift. And if you and I could get out of our own way, we would really live the abundant life that God has for us. And that's what this message is all about, man. It's just helping you and I just get out of our own way. And I, I want to preach out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. And, and what I want to do, I'm going to preach a little different than I typically do. Usually I try to stay in one concentrated, you know, series of passages. But today, because I'm trying to give about like a 40,000 foot overview of a concept, uh, I, I'm going to preach kind of a thesis passage here and I'm going to read this thesis passage and then I'm going to kind of bounce around a little bit because there's something that I just want you to get in your spirit. And in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, this is some really famous words of Jesus. And he says this, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Come on, let's pray together this morning over the preaching of God's word. God, thank you so much just for your word, Lord. Thank you so much for bringing us into your presence. Thank you for the local church that is Mission Church and what you've done in the last six years. God, we don't take it for granted. Thank you for the good soil. Thank you for the good things that you're doing. Thank you for the marriages that have been restored. Thank you for uh, the lonely that have come in and found a family. Thank you for the people that have discovered purpose in their life. God, I'm grateful, Lord, that we have invested prayers and time and energy and our talents and our treasures, and we have come to bring them at your feet. For we know, God, that when we bring things to you and you 
break them and you bless them, God, you are able to exponentially use them far greater than we could ever. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that. And God, we know that you are a latter day God, that our latter days will be greater than even our former days, no matter how great our former days were. And so Lord, I pray for the next six years right now of Mission Church. God, I pray that we'll look back on these seasons as small beginnings, even though they're not small beginnings. God, that we'll look back at these moments and go, wow, I can't believe we all used to fit in that building across a few services in that little space. I just pray that we would look back and go, man, what felt so massive at one time will feel like just the first brick in the wall. So Lord, I pray you'd bring co-laborers. Pray you'd bring the resources. I pray you'd bring the things that only you can bring. And God, that this thing would always be empowered by your spirit. So Lord, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. Uh, you ever find yourself uh, picking up a new hobby? I think sometimes it's good to just pick up new things. I think every once in a while, it's just kind of nice to maybe try something that you have never tried. And uh, about eight, nine years ago, uh, I, I wanted to, to pick up a particular hobby, but sometimes it's just so much easier when you have a friend, right? And so I remember talking to a friend of mine and they were on our launch team. We were getting ready to launch our, our church, Grace City. And uh, him and I said, hey, let's get into tennis, like, let's get, let's get into tennis. And, uh, you know, neither one of us were tennis players, but, you know, we were like high school has-been sports guys and like in, you know, mediocre shape. And we were like, man, I think tennis uh, could be a thing that, that we could uh, really get into. And so, you know, we get all the gear and, and, and we get the, the tennis racket and we, and we get the tennis balls and we, and we go out there. And, and I discovered that there was such a thing as, I didn't know that there was such a thing as tennis shoes, I thought all shoes were like tennis shoes, right? <laughs> and so I would just put on tennis shoes and I would go put them on. And after like a month, month and a half of playing with tennis shoes, I'd have like holes like in the top parts of, of my shoes and on the inside. And I realized, oh, there are such a thing as tennis shoes that are actually constructed and built because in tennis you drag your feet and they're constructed that way. I, I didn't know that. So I got holes in my shoes. And, and, and when we first started playing tennis, I got to be honest, we really weren't even playing tennis. We were playing, how many times can we hit the ball back and forth to each other with keeping the ball in bounds and not hit it in the net. And so, you know, I felt like we were like in middle school gym class and we were like, one, two, three, let's see if we get to 11, four. Like, like that was, that was really the, the game we were playing, but we were very committed to this. And so as long as both of us weren't traveling for work or, or anything like that, and we were both in town, we played every single week for the last nine years. And what was interesting is if you do something every week and you do something consistent, you're going to get better at it. And, and we, got better. We are so much better today than we were nine years ago when we started. And one of the key signature ways in which you can tell that we are better at this is one specific thing in particular. And in tennis, there's something called unforced errors, right? And an unforced error is when the ball comes to you and you just hit it either right into the net or you just hit it out. It wasn't like somebody hit a winner on you. It's just an unforced error. 
And the way in which we knew that we were getting better is we started to have so many less unforced errors. And what I found to be true of life is that if you and I can avoid the unforced errors or for the sake of this message, if we can avoid, avoid the self-inflicted wounds, we will walk into the life that God has for us. But we got to get out of our own way. I, th- I think sometimes the enemy gets way too much credit. Like in church life, and again, I preach it too because it preaches good, but, but in church life, it's like we talk about the enemy a lot. It's like the enemy, the enemy, the, and we talk about a lot. And sometimes I wonder if the enemy's just kind of sitting over here, just watching us and going, I'm going to wait to get involved until I really need to. <laughs> I'm just kind of going to kind of like, like, like let them kind of do their thing because they don't even really need me to live an apathetic life. They don't really need me to live a greedy life. They don't really need me to live a prideful life. I'll just hang out over here and let them destroy themselves all unto themselves. And I'm kind of competitive. And so I've come to this conclusion. I want the enemy to feel like he has to get involved in my life. I know that's kind of a weird take, but I want the enemy going, here's what I know about Andrew. He's not going to beat himself. Like imagine if like hell had to have an assignment on your life because hell knew you are not taking yourself out. Come on, we got too many people that claim to have the power of God, the authority of the believer, and we're just taking ourselves out. And, and you and I, man, man, we abdicate this spiritual authority that we have when we live like this. And I, I, think, I think we're committed to all the wrong things. They were just committed to all the wrong things. I, uh, uh, there was a young man, and uh, in 2011, my wife and I moved from Washington State. Uh, we were on staff at an amazing church out there, and we moved, to, uh, we moved from Washington State to um, the great nation of Florida. And, 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 we, and, we moved to, and we moved to Florida, and I went on staff at a Christian university called Southeastern University, alma mater of your youth pastor, Joseph Little. And, uh, and, and so uh, that's where I met Joe many years ago. Um, and he, you look the exact same bro. You still look like you're 18 years old. It's like kind of, this guy looks the exact same. And, uh, yeah, no, that's a compliment. Trust me. And, uh, and, and I'm also at this school. And when I get to this Christian university, uh, it, it, it wasn't what Southeastern is today. Uh, there were a, a lot of like, just like real legalistic kids. It was like a weird environment. It was like a weird environment. And it's like, think like homeschool convention. You know what I mean? <laughs> If you homeschool your kids, you're, you're doing a good thing. The Lord bless you and keep you. I'm sure your kids are going to be normal. <laughs> My wife's a homeschool kid, so I can say it. And, uh, and so, uh, and I was there and these kids were very legal. I'd never seen anything like this before because like I had never, and they were just like repeating like the legalistic things that some of their parents would say. Like, I've never had like a 19 year old come into like a, a chapel and be like, the music's too loud. I'm like, you're 19. How is the music too loud? It never didn't make any sense to me. 
And there was this one guy in particular that was incredibly legalistic and I mean, just kind of, you know, and he had gotten radically saved. And sometimes I kind of get it because sometimes you get radically saved. And when you get radically saved, sometimes you kind of, you're still learning what the grace of God is, what the mercy of God is, how to steward a relationship with God. And so we can overcorrect the pendulum. And he was kind of one of those guys and, and he just was not a fan of me. He just wasn't a fan of me. And that's okay. I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's fine. Uh, but years later, years later, we had, we had planted the church, was pastoring Grace City. I get a phone call and it's this guy. It's this former college. He's graduated. This is like years after. And, and he said, Hey, it's me. And I knew exactly who he was. And, and I go, Hey man, what's going on? And he just begins to tell me that he kind of fell back into drugs and he was doing hardcore drugs and he was like, um, sleeping around and just making terribly destructive decisions. And I was like, Oh man. And so then I, I started telling him, I'm like, dude, you got to get involved in a church, man. You need a community of faithful people that can journey with you. This is what you need. And then this is a true story. He, he, he goes on to essentially go, Oh, well, I, I was a part of a church but when I was at that church, they have like different campuses and I thought it was kind of weird and they had different campuses and all the pastors would like write their sermons together and then they would all preach from like the same passage and they would like preach these canned messages and, and he's telling me this and I wanted to go, listen to yourself. You're doing drugs. <laughs> You're doing hardcore drugs. And you're criticizing the campus ministry philosophy of a church. Like you got bigger fish to fry, my friend. <laughs> there are bigger things going on. And you know what was interesting? He couldn't shake the legalism even, as, even in his depravity. Yes. Couldn't shake it. And I share that to illustrate this. I've been in ministry. This is the start of my 20th year in vocational ministry. So started my 20th year and, and, and there's been one thing that has blown me away. There has one thing that has impressed me in the negative. There's been one thing and I meet with people all the time. And this is the thing that has blown me away the most and has confounded me and dumbfounded me the most. And it's this, how committed you and I can be to ways of living that are not working for us. Just ways of living that are not, like I know people that will just exist like in a three out of 10 marriage and they'll just keep it pushing and they'll just exist. And, and I'm like, how's that going? Is anybody having any fun? Like, is, is this, is this working? I, I know people that will just kind of like show up to church like every once every, you know, eight to 10 weeks and wonder why their life isn't being transformed. I'm sorry, I know, this is the wrong crowd. It, it, it's six-year anniversary weekend, so everybody's here this weekend. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, it was about, about seven weeks ago. <laughs> but then you wonder why your life is not being transformed by the people of God and by the place of God and by God himself, right? It's amazing how committed we can be to ways and methods of life that are not working. In fact, so many times uh, I'll, I'll sit down and meet with somebody for pastoral care. And I got to be honest, I am not a good person to meet with for pastoral care. <laughs> like my wife is excellent because she's going to sit down with you and she's going to, she's, you know, she's finished it up like, well, she's actually literally done with her PhD in clinical psychology. And, and, and so she'll sit down with you and, and she'll, she'll like ask you penetrative questions. She'll, she'll be thoughtful. She'll care.
And I discovered something very profound. You have to have empathy to be good at pastoral care. And so usually my pastoral care meetings end kind of the same way, just all the time. It's just like, all right, you're doing this. How's it going? Is it working? No. Okay, then let's try something else. (laughs) And I know that's uber simplistic, but we got to stop being committed to the wrong things. We got to stop being committed to ways that aren't working. If, if, if you're like the kind of person that has relationship carnage in your rearview mirror, try a different approach to relationships. If, if, if you're somebody that is like, man, you're just kind of navigating life and you find yourself struggling, struggling, you have to find a different approach. It's time that we're honest about what the foundation of our lives are built upon. And here's my main point today, and it's this, is that the foundation of our lives will be revealed by whether we find ourselves repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again or growing in wisdom. The foundation of our lives will be revealed by whether we find ourselves repeating mistakes or growing in wisdom. Do not tell me that upon Christ, the solid rock your life is built upon. If you repeat the same mistakes over and over and over, I think a lot of times in church, we know the words to say, and yet we're not building our lives on the right things. Don't tell me what your life is built upon. Show me what your life is built upon. I remember when I was dating Christina, uh, we were having a conversation and this is the thing that I told her. And I really think that this is a huge secret to the fruitfulness in life. And I told her, I said, hey, this has always been my approach to life. And it's this, I am going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm gonna make a ton of, I'm gonna invent mistakes. (laughs) I'm gonna make a ton of mistakes. I will rarely make the same mistake twice. And I think that is a huge secret to having a fruitful life. God is not seeking perfection from you. Stop beating yourself up. But we gotta grow up. Like we have to mature, we have to develop and the better you can get at avoiding repeated mistakes, the more fruitful your life will be. And if you're struggling and you keep navigating the same mistake over and over, God's never going to stop loving you. You're just going to be forfeiting some of the good things that he has for you because you, get, you keep getting caught up on the same thing over and over and over again. And I think there's really three ways in which we commit these self-inflicting wounds. It happens in, in three different ways. And the first way is this, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's the self-inflicted wound of the heart. The self-inflicted wound of the heart. Uh, every once in a while, uh, I've made some false assumptions. Anybody else? <laughs> you, you just kind of have made some assumptions and you're like, well, I was wrong about that. I remember uh, I was so excited to move from Washington state to Florida, right? I was, I was so pumped. Uh, we were moving and we live to this day, we live 40 minutes from Disney world. And so pretty much every Friday night that both my wife and I are in town and we're not like traveling and speaking and that we're both in town, us and our kids were at Disney world. Like it's, it's awesome. And, and before, you know, we kind of moved from Washington to Florida, I was so pumped. And the reason why I was so pumped to move from Washington state to Florida is I really hate the rain. <laughs> I hate the rain and you guys aren't from Florida, but what I quickly discovered when I moved from Washington state to Florida is Florida is tropical (laughs) 
and it rains a great deal, especially in the summer. Every afternoon in the summer, it will be a torrential downpour, the likes of which you in Northern California have never seen. Oh, it's flooding. Give me a break. And I moved to Florida, and I didn't know that. And so for the sake of this message, I actually wanted to look up annual precipitation in Washington State and Florida. Check that out. You're just going to blow your mind. It's going to blow some of your mind. Uh, average annual precipitation, Washington State is the 30th ranked state in the United States of America. Florida, four. <laughs> And I discovered something really, really important about life is that it rains everywhere. It rains everywhere. See, some of you, it rains. And when it rains on the metaphor, metaphoric life, metaphoric house of your life, and when it rains in that way, you assume it's only raining here. And here's what you got to know. It's going to rain everywhere. There's going to be diagnoses that are devastating. There's going to be some broken hearts. A broken heart is a part of life. There's going to be some things that take place. And what will cause you to turn normal rain that falls on everybody into despair and a self-inflicted wound of the heart is you actually thinking it's only raining where you're at. And it's not only raining where you're at. It rains absolutely everywhere. In fact, every house looks great in the sunshine. We don't really know what your life is built upon until it starts raining at your house. We're not really sure, do you really trust in Jesus until the rain comes? We're not really positive, hey, is, is Christ really being manifest in your life to such a degree that the rain can come? Because what's interesting about this scenario, and Jesus says it, it rains on the house that's built on Christ the solid rock, and it rains on the poor foundation, but it rains everywhere. And there's a woman who allowed the external rain with which she couldn't control to turn into despair, which she could control. And it was this woman named Naomi. And Naomi is found in the book of Ruth. And in Ruth chapter one, Naomi has a husband. She has two sons and she has, has her sons are married to, to two women. And her husband dies and her sons die. Devastation. And now she has these two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And in Ruth chapter one, verse six, it says, then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave to Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. And may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to sons who could grow up and be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. This is important. She says, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me 
And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. So here we see a, a woman who, again, external rain, no control over it but she allows it to turn into despair. So she has the, the, the rain, which is the loss of her husband and sons, which is understandable. And sometimes what can happen is if we don't deal with heartbreak, heartbreak will deal with us. And so she has this heartbreak that she doesn't deal with. And what eventually happens to an unkept heart is we will start pushing people away that God has assigned to be there for us. And so she's on this journey, on this journey, on this journey. And she just wants to give in to this self-inflicted wound of the heart. And so she tells these two women, hey, hey, no, 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 go, go away. In fact, she even has the audacity because she actually believes, again, when we are committing self-inflicted wounds of the heart, we believe it only rains on us. And what does she say to these two women? She says this, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She's talking to two women that have just lost their husbands. But what is she doing? She's internalizing the pain. And when you internalize pain, you will eventually push people away. And so my, my encouragement to every single one of us, in fact, the declaration that I would strongly exhort with us is this, is that we would be the kind of people that can declare, I am going to guard my heart from despair because it is the wellspring of life. You got to guard your heart from despair. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that difficulties aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that the rain isn't going to come. It's just, God, I am not falling into despair. I am pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. Like that's who I am. Doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. It's just like, man, no, no, I I know that God has me. So I'm going to guard my heart. I'm not going to give myself to the self-inflicted wound of the heart. Then there's number two, the self-inflicted wound of the mind. This is one that many of us struggle with. The self-inflicted wound of the mind. Mind is a dangerous place, huh? (laughs) I love, uh, I love raising kids. My wife and I, Christina, uh, uh, we have, we have twins. We have five-year-old twins, Justice and Adriana, and they're five years old. And they're like the cutest little things in the world and their personalities are a whole vibe. Our daughter is feisty and strong. She is her mother's daughter. Okay. Uh, uh, she is a, she's a tough cookie. And, and my son is just like sweet and, and jovial and just, just good times. Right. And so, uh, love sports. He's just, we're having the time of our life. And, uh, but every once in a while, my kids will come and they'll ask me for something, right? They'll come and they'll ask me for something. And, um, and, and I love raising kids uh, because one of the primary reasons too that has been so fascinating uh, for me about raising children is that it gives me such an interesting glimpse on what I must look like to God sometimes. You know, it gives me a really like fascinating look. And so uh, the other day, Justice comes to me and he asked for something. And when he asked, now, uh, you know, I, I really like telling my kids no. <laughs> like I love saying yes, but I also equally love saying no. And so sometimes like, so the other day, Justice comes to me and he asked me for something and, and he's like, no. Now sometimes I'll have a reason. Sometimes like, oh no, here's why. Sometimes I'm like, I just want to see him squirm a little bit. <laughs> just want to see what he's going to do. And every once in a while, like my kid's still a kid. He's still like a normal kid. And so every once in a while, you know, he'd come and ask for something. I'm like, no. And he's like, (laughs) he starts like spazzing out on me. 
And I'm like, bro, you, 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 you gotta, you, you gotta know me by now. I'm your father. You gotta know what does it for me and what doesn't do it for me. That does not do it for me. <laughs> you gotta know what I'm into. I'm not into, I'm not into that. And, and, and what's funny is, is, is he'll, he'll ask for something. And, and then what's funny is he'll even make up stuff that I said that I didn't say. So, so I'm like, you know, he might ask for something. And I'm like, ah, if there's time, but if you do this, there's probably not going to be time. And then he'll go do that thing. And he's like, Hey, can we do this? I'm like, no, remember I told you. Um, and he's like, no, you said we could do it. I'm like, no, stop making stuff up. And I, I wonder sometimes like when you and I look like that to God, I wonder like if we're ever like, Hey God, like, you know, like, you know, is this cool? And he's like, no. And we're like, <laughs> but they have it. But they have it. Start, start squirming. We start making God say things he never said. We're like, God, you said, you said like sinky first and like, and you said, he's like, yeah, I also said die. I said die too. I said like die. Like, and then like, you know, like you'll live, you know, like, like, like I said that too. Right. right? And I think what's, what's so interesting is, is that, I mean, you and I constantly uh, have to make sure that we're not overreacting. See, when, when I see justice do that, I'm going, bro, that is an outsized reaction to what is actually going on in the situation. And I wonder how many times you and I have an outsized reaction. And the reason why the world feels like it's swirling so much is because we're swirling so much in here. And we have an outsized reaction from what is actually going on in and around us. The chaos that you're feeling has more to do with what is happening in your mind than what is happening in your circumstances. But it's okay because we all have a whisperer. Every single person has a whisperer. And in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20, it says this. this is a very interesting verse of which we can all relate to. It says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire. So is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. We all have a whisper. This is why sometimes you feel like you're going crazy is why sometimes you're living right here because we all have a whisper and every once in a while that whisper is going to get its hook in us. It's going to get its hook in us. I've been fishing two times in my life because I hate fishing. And uh, one of those times uh, I was fishing, it was, it was summertime. I was dating my wife at the time, um, but I was hoping to make my wife, my fiance. And so when you're hoping to make, um, you know, uh, uh, excuse me, I was dating my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, and so uh, when you're hoping to do that, you got to go up and visit the family. So I went up uh, to the great place of Alaska. My wife is Alaska native. She is Eskimo. She is a legit Alaskan and she grew up in Alaska and she would tell you if she was here, she grew up in real Alaska, not Anchorage. Okay. She grew up in the villages, baby recognize. And, uh, and so I went up there and my father-in-law was like, let's go fishing. And I'm like, yay. (laughs) And we go out fishing and we're fishing in the Russian river, right? Some of the best fishing in the entire world. And the only other fishing that I'd ever done in my entire life was Lake Bobber fishing. 
You know, like you go out to a lake, you put a little worm on the hook, you put a little bobber on there, and you sit there, you watch the bobber on top of the lake, and if the bobber goes down, you pull up. So only, I've done that one time. My father and I, we're, we're out here in waders in the Russian River. You know what I mean? I feel like John Eldridge, wild at heart. Like, like, uh, I, like I'm in there, and I'm like, man, this is, this is kind of crazy. And, uh, and, and he starts, you know, putting stuff on, on the hook. And, and I noticed that he was setting up my pole, but I was like, uh, Bob, where's the bobber? Where's the bobber? And he was like, the bobber? And I'm like, yeah, like, I've been fishing one time, so, like, I'm an expert. Uh, <laughs> I need the bobber. And he goes, no, you, you don't have a bobber here. And then I asked him this question. How will I know if something's on the hook? That's what I asked him. And I didn't know that we were, you know, like fishing for like, you know, 40 pound King salmon <laughs> in the Russian river. And he goes, oh, um, if there is a salmon on the hook, you'll know. <laughs> And, and so there's a question that I would ask us. How do we know if we're committing the self-inflicted wound of the mind? You know. You know because you've given your mind to some things that you ought not give your mind to. And you're rehearsing things that you ought not rehearse. And you're going back in conversations that you had with your spouse. And you're just rehearsing that thing that they said that they didn't even really mean and that they wish that they could take back, but, but you're, rehearsing, you're rehearsing those things that your parents said and you're playing those things out. You wanna know how, how I know that, that the whisperer has me on the hook? There, there's, for me personally, there's a specific way that I know the whisperer has me on the hook and it's this. When I'm having debates in the shower with other people that are not there. <laughs> Come on, yeah. Come on, you ever have those guys, you, you, you ever in the shower and you're going back and forth and you're playing both roles? You're playing your part and their part, right? And, and so, you, so you hit them with a, like a, just a slammer, you hit them with a point and then they get you with a counterpoint and then you're going back and forth. I have these audible conversations. I have this audible experience where I'm going, and, and what's awesome about these is I'm undefeated in these conversations. Anybody like I've never lost one of these conversations where I'm playing both parts because I always have the perfect comeback. I always have the good motives. They obviously always have the bad motives and I'm always right in this scenario. And my perspective is the only perspective is when I'm doing that, I'm like, Ooh, I'm on the hook. I'm on the hook. That is a self-inflicted wound of my mind. And I am walking down paths and wasting mental energy on things that don't matter. I'm wasting mental energy that could probably actually be solved with an actual conversation with that person in which their perspective was an illumination to me and I could come to some agreement with this person. Be really, really careful for the conversations that you're having with other people, but they're not there. Because you're driving yourself crazy. There's a man in the Bible who literally allowed just somebody else being them to drive them crazy. And his name was Saul. Saul, King Saul in the Bible was driven mad just from David being David. He was driven absolutely crazy just from David being David. And, and, and you always wonder like, man, what was the thing that really got 
it's hooking them. You know, there's this moment where uh, David and Saul are coming back from battle and these women write a song and they come out and they sing the song and they say, Saul has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And then Saul's at the crib later on that night. And you can, you can just read it in the undertone of the scripture. It's just, he just goes home and he's just thinking about what, what they mean by that. And where does that put me? And, and, and they don't know that I had to do the administrative side of battle. <laughs> so I only had time to take out thousands. <laughs> they, they, they didn't see that I was setting up. All the, he started playing mind games with them. And then because his thinking started to go that direction, he makes this prophetic utterance that didn't have to be true. But sometimes it's crazy where when we start thinking something, it will come to pass, not because it had to, but because in a way um, we set the, the, the seedlings for that thing to happen. And there's this moment where he says this, he says, what more can David have, but the kingdom. And what did David end up getting? The kingdom. And it didn't have to be like that. It just, he got so in his head, he started to self-sabotage. Self-inflicted wound. So there's the self-inflicted wound of the heart. There's the self-inflicted wound of the mind. And this would, this would be the prophetic utterance that we need to be able to speak over our life when it comes to the self-inflicted wound of our mind is that I'm going to take every thought captive until it obeys Christ. And then the third part, and the team can come up. I want to finish with this the self-inflicted wound of the conscience, the self-inflicted wound of the conscience. You see, our conscience can get seared and, and, and things that used to be a conviction of ours, if we let it go too long unchecked, can stop convicting us. And it's not because it should stop convicting us, it's because we get numb. Right? We, have to be, we have to be really, really careful. Um, uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, uh, me and a bunch of people were going bowling. Now, bowling is like one of those things I do like once every four years. Right? Bowling is, is not an activity that I, that I do very much of, but it was welcome week for all of our interns. And so all of our interns were moving in that week. And so we were like, man, let's rent out uh, like a bowling alley and we'll bring all of our interns, all of our staff. And so like 80 of us like show up to this um, bowling alley on Wednesday at like two in the afternoon, which is, you know, I can think of very little places that would depress me and bum me out more. Right. And so we show up to this, this bowling alley and it's, and it's two o'clock and, and I'm one of those guys that if, if we're going to do something, anything like competitive or anything like that, I like to ratchet up the competitiveness a little bit, right? I, I like to like stir the pot a little bit. And so we show up to this thing and I just go, Hey, uh, none of you are going to beat my high score today. That's what I just declare to everybody. I didn't think it. I audibly said it, right? I audibly said it. And they're like, what? We got a lot of competitive people in our world. And they're like, no way. And I said, in fact, if any of you beat me at bowling, I'll buy as many people that do at lunch. So it don't matter if like 27 of you beat my high score, uh, I'm going to buy you all lunch. And the first frame happens, right? And I, 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 I bowl the first frame. I bowled like a 143 or something like that. And like 22 people beat me. And I was like, this is going to be an expensive lesson. But then the second frame happened and I caught fire. 
And all of a sudden at the end, like, in fact, like by like frame eight, right? Uh, people ask Christina, does Andrew like secretly bowl? Is he like on a bowling team or something like that? And I bowled a 193 and that was the high score of the whole day. And I was like, that's right. <laughs> now what's interesting is amongst my crew of 80 people, none of us are bowlers. And so that 193 was going to hold. That 193 was going to stand. But if I showed up on Wednesday night at like 8 o'clock to a bowling league, I don't even know if I'd make a team with that 193. I don't don't even know if I'd make a team with that 193. Can I encourage you? I don't know if this will be an encouragement, but can I encourage you? Be careful that you are not using fruit as a means to not look and take inventory of the rest of your life. Be really, really careful. Because fruit can deceive us. Because God's so good. Come on, you ever been used when you weren't so good? You ever had some good things happen to you when you weren't so good? I have. And so you got to not get lulled to sleep by some fruit. Like, think of Judas. One of the 12 disciples that betrayed Jesus under the point of death. He had some fruit in his life, did he not? He was one of the 12 disciples. Of all the thousands of people following Jesus, Jesus mentioned Judas. Come follow me. Come on, if you're talking about somebody who has some like good like momentum in life, seemingly in his relationship with God, Judas. In fact, Judas wasn't just one of the 12. He was the treasurer of the 12. He actually had a specific role, a specific assignment. So if you're Judas, you're like, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. But then do you ever stop and wonder, how did Jesus or Judas betray Jesus? How could you have done that? Like, could you imagine walking around with Jesus? Judas had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He had seen him heal people. He had seen lives transformed. He had seen unbelievable things. And not just that, you know how you feel when like the service is just right and the music is just right and we're exalting Christ and that hair standing up on the back of your neck and you're in the presence of God and there's nothing like it. Think about this, Judas is with love personified in the flesh. And yet he betrays him. Why? Because he overestimated his position. He overestimated his standing. He overestimated the fruit of his life. And he didn't realize he was making some decisions that was searing his conscience. For the sake of time, I'm I'm not going to read it, but there's this moment. Because his betrayal of Jesus didn't happen when he took the 30 pieces of silver. His betrayal of Jesus didn't happen when he betrayed Jesus with a kiss and Jesus was arrested. It it happened well before that. Me and Tyler talk about this all the time. Self-inflicted wounds, they don't just happen. They don't just come out of nowhere. They don't. In fact, Tyler and I have been talking a lot about just encouraging one another to just, man, we're going to last. Over the next 25, 30 years, man, we're going to pastor our church well until we are bald and, and have gray hair. We're, we're going to still be pastoring Gray City and Mission Church. <laughs> and what are we talking about? 
God, God doesn't want perfection from us and he doesn't want perfection from you either. It's, it, we can't do it. It's just, God, help me not to take myself out. Help me to avoid the self-inflicted wounds. Um, I've had some friends that have lost their way and that have had major moral failures because of self-inflicted wounds and it cost them their church and it cost them their reputation. But can I tell you, that's not just a thing for pastors. That's a thing for the people of God at large. I pastored too many people taking themselves out. The scriptures tell us that Judas was at this gathering and this woman comes and she pours an expensive ointment on Jesus's feet and wipes it with her hair and she's just worshiping Jesus. And it says that Judas is upset. And, and it says that Judas says, this could have been sold and given to the poor. I love the Bible, right? This is why we love the Bible. Why? Because the Bible reads us. And even in the Bible, it says, he's lying. <laughs> but I was like, he's lying. That, that, that's not why he's upset. He's upset because that could have been sold, put in the money bag, and he's been stealing money from the money bag. And so his conscience was seared back here. It manifested itself in a way that he never thought possible, which was him betraying Jesus. And when you find yourself with self-inflicted wounds to your conscience, this is the declaration that I want you to have, is I want you to declare this, that I am going to allow God to regenerate my conscience through genuine repentance. You know, there's a practice that I started doing probably about two years after I started following Jesus, three years after I started following Jesus, because um, uh, like I used to think that if I could just stop like having sex with my girlfriend, I'd be like spiritual giant. Like when I first got saved, like there were a lot of things that God took. Like, like I, was, I was smoking weed like every other day. I never like smoked weed or got drunk a single time after I got saved but I was still having sex with my girlfriend. And I remember thinking, I actually thought, some of you are deceived, you think you got an issue. Like you think you have a thing. And so I was deceived, I was 19 years old and I was like, I think I have a thing. And if I just wasn't doing this thing, I would be able to leap tall buildings with like a single bound spiritually. And so you know what, what it would do? It would impact my prayer life. So when I fell in that area, you want to know where I'd be? I'd be on the ground in my room in tears crying. God, forgive me. Forgive me. But let me go like three weeks and not fooling around with no girl and not having sex with no girl. And let me go like three weeks. You want to know where my prayer life went? Nowhere. It went nowhere. I came to this conclusion. I don't want to need the sin to be on my face to cry out for repentance. And so I started this practice of daily repentance. The people of Israel, they had all these, right, you read Leviticus. If you do this, do that, right? There's, there's all these ways, offerings that they would bring based on certain sins that they would do. And then the scriptures tell us this, that there was an offering that they would bring for the sins that they had committed that they didn't know they had committed. And so every night, it doesn't take long, but every night I go into my office at the house or I go into my bedroom and I put my knees on the ground. I put my forehead to the ground. And even on my good days, I say, God, I need you as much today as I do on those days 
where I feel like I made a bunch of mistakes. And God, there are so many probably infractions and so many things that I did today that probably grieved your heart, but because I'm so immature, they don't even register yet. But God, continue to grow me. And you know what God does every day when I do that? It's a three to four minute thing that I do. He regenerates my conscience. He just regenerates my conscience and says, God, God, keep me sensitive to the things of you. Keep me aware to the things of you. God, I pray for every idle word and every idle thought and every meditation of my heart that does not line up with your best for me. And I lay it before you today. For I know my righteousness is but filthy rags in your sight. And I don't need you any less on any day. I am in utter desperation of you and you will watch God regenerate your conscience. God has good things for you, Mission Church. And the health of this church will be determined by the health of her people. And we want health for you. You don't have to be perfect, but let's avoid the biggies. Let's avoid the self-inflicted wounds that cause us to take another trip around the mountain. Come on, let's stand to our feet, Mission Church. And I'm going to ask that we would bow our head. And I want to ask just two questions. The first question is this. You're in this room right now. And if me, you, and Pastor Tyler were to go out to lunch, and I were to just ask you straight up, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If your answer is no, he's not, or maybe your answer is something more tepid to say, yeah, I was following God 20 years ago, but I've walked away. And today you'd say, hey, I want to come home. I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. God will forgive you of your sins and start you on a new life, not just when you die and go to heaven someday, although that's a beautiful inheritance, but also a new kind of life right now. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, I'm going to ask for you to lift your hand when I count to three, and that would just be your confession of faith. Ready? One, two, three. Go and lift up your hand all across this room. Yep, see you right there. See you right there. See you right there. Yep, see you right there. Yep, see you right there. Beautiful. Yep, see you right there. Third way to go. Yep, see you right there. Most important decision in your life. Who is Jesus? He is Lord. Can you put your hand down? Second question is this. You're in this room right now and you're following Jesus, but you know that you've been having some self-inflicted wounds in one of those three areas. Either your conscience is seared and you're going, God, restore unto me that conscience, that quick to repent conscience. Some of you, you're playing head games with yourself. You're just in your mind all the time and it's hurting your relationship. Some of you, you've allowed normal heartbreak that everybody has to experience turn into despair. You say, man, I, God, I, I want to walk away from self-inflicted wounds. I want you to lift up your hand all across this room and I want to pray for us. God, thank you so much for your goodness and kindness over our life. Thank you that you love us and that you know us. And God, I just pray, Lord, that we would get out of our own way. You have good, good, good plans for your children. You have plans, God, to prosper us and give us a hope and a future. So God, we will no longer partner with the plans of the enemy. We want to partner with your plans for our life. So God, we lay down our lives afresh to you today. God, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, and we all said amen and amen. Come on, let's thank God for his kindness and his goodness towards his people. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. 
If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon. 